Hi, and welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know, a podcast, a brand new podcast. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but we have been on a bit of a hiatus, and uh, it was only supposed to be for maybe an episode, probably two, and then it was for a little bit longer. Um, but we're back, and we're Hi. recording. And to make it up to you, faithful listener, what we are going to do is AJ, Thomas, and myself, we're all going to do an episode at the same time. All right, boys, so let's do it. Here we go. All right. Okay, one, two, three. Hi, welcome to Classical Stuff. You should know a podcast about classical education, how handsome Graham Donaldson is. Classically handsome. So if you look at the history of handsome people, Graham Donaldson is Let's talk about the Aliens and the Odyssey. This is terrible. Uh, for those of you who are still listening, uh, we thank you for sticking with <laughs> us. No, of you. Uh, we had the uh, the opportunity to do some travel uh, and to see family, and especially during crazy COVID times when that opportunity presented itself, we jumped on it and uh, threw caution to the wind and the podcast also to the wind. <laughs> and, but now we're back. Um, and I think today, um, well, my name is Graham Donaldson, and I'm joined with AJ Hanberg and Thomas Magby. Hello. And... Um, uh, we are, I don't know, talking about something big, <laughs> something epic. What's, what's our podcast about? What are oh we yeah, we, so we're a podcast about <laughs> classical education and, and uh, old books and old things. And there's a m- movement of Christian classical, classical education that is growing in not only the United States, but around uh, the world. And we work at a school or have worked at schools. Uh, we've been involved in classical education in some capacity in our professional careers, and we we love it. And so we do a podcast about it. In short, we want to talk to you about books. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Sometimes uh, statues. No, what did you do? Well, Architecture. Art. And philosophy. Philosophy. And uh, you're Politics. reading Marx. And mm-hmm. um, I'm planning on doing an uh, Invisible Hand episode, which sounds creepy. Spooky, yeah. Seriously. It does. You got to save it for Halloween? or mm-hmm. Oh, okay. great idea. Okay. That's right. Okay, today I, I'm actually taking the recommendations of one of our Patreon supporters, and he, you know, when you, when you support at a certain level, you have the opportunity to suggest things for topics, and one thing he suggested was to redo some of the earliest episodes of they those suck. first 10, because <laughs> it was only Graham and I, and we were cheek to cheek next to one single microphone. We have since upgraded our setup, but we were yeah, just barely making it, just barely making it, and our episodes were 20 minutes long. And there, there's no Thomas, and that's the big drawback, mm-hmm. is that we're missing our third part. Uh-huh. And we want to redo some of those. And so because it's fresh in my mind, I just did a couple of talks on this for some conferences. I'm going to redo episode three. So if you look back, what we should have done is, is put that into the vault. You might not be able to find it on our normal podcasting anymore, and this is sort of to replace our old episode three. So if our podcast now goes one, two, four, you'll know why. That's gonna be weird. It's gonna disappear one at a time. Yeah. Okay. It's like, is that uh, okay? Are you, uh, you can do whatever. It's like you want Spotify man. and Joe Rogan. Well, they're all on Spotify, right? Oh, are they? I, I thought they. So. Uh, I thought they they banhammered some. Maybe. Oh, uh, maybe. Was that the whole story? I don't know. I don't know the story. Anyway, we. I'm redoing episode three, and episode three was our intro to the epics. It was also like 15 minutes long. So. Yeah, it was really short, and I'd like to d- give it a uh, a better better try, a better. <laughs> It's time in the sun. I want to give it a, that subject a little more thorough of, of a time, partially because it's I find it's helpful, especially for those people who are newer to classical education, to be able to jump in to some of the oldest and most important books, which is Homer and Virgil's Aeneid. So this, the three of those books are all 
one story or at least different pieces of one big story. And if you don't, you aren't privy to that. If you don't know the story, then those books can be incredibly confusing. I talked to one dad outside actually just today that says, I've tried to read the Iliad a number of times. And every time I stop 10 pages in, cause you don't know what, you don't know what's going on. You don't know who the people are or why they're there or what they're doing. Homer doesn't explain any of that. Cause he expects you have a certain cultural currency that we just don't have anymore. It's like when I watch a Marvel movie, I don't know what the heck's going on because I don't know any of these people. Yeah. Uh, If I watch X-Men, I know what's happening. I know most of the X-Men. Right. But yeah, you watch a Marvel movie, you have no idea. If I I write a story today to someone American and I put in a character named Kanye who has certain qualities that mirror the actual Kanye, people will be like, oh yeah, I know who that is. I know Mm -hmm. his history. And if I have one named Abraham Lincoln, right, you're going to know exactly what he's all about, right? Or there's going to be some sort of cultural currency that comes along with that name. That would be I'd watch that buddy cop movie. Lincoln and Kanye? Kanye? Yeah. I should write that. That'd be fun. Yeah. They're trying to catch... Who's who's the colonel they're trying to catch? I don't know. Modest Mouse. (laughs) Okay. Perfect. I'd watch that. Okay. Anyway, the... Homer sort of assumed that you, as a reader, have the same cultural currency that the Greeks did, right? This was their central cultural story. It sort of defined who they were as a people for a really long period of time. So he just doesn't fill you in. He assumes you know all that stuff, and goes with it, right? It's as if I wrote a story about Lincoln and didn't take the time to tell you he was the president because you know he was the president, right? I don't have to tell you that. You know that. Or at least you should know that. If you don't, well, maybe you should listen to more of our podcasts. There you go. Okay, so... Called out. Yeah, Yeah. I'm going to tell you all of the mythological background for the epics so that when you want to jump in, you aren't totally lost. That's the point of this particular podcast. I might... I'm not really going to do a big background about the authors. You can check out the historicity behind all this stuff at another time. Uh, In brief, Homer was a blind bard who lived probably around the year eight to 600 BC in Greece. And his stories were passed down for a long time before they were, you know, were written down finally. And he is inheriting a big oral, oral, oral cultural history that he is sort of codifying into one big tale. At least that's the theory there. Some people think Homer didn't even exist and it's just a collection of tales of multiple authors, but I prefer to think he did. And we just don't know much about his life because he wrote about other things than himself. Virgil lived way later. I think it's between 70 and 20 BC, kind of around there. And he lived in the Roman Empire and they wrote, he wrote a a part of this tale far after Homer was dead and gone because the Romans love to steal other, other folks' culture. And so he was commissioned to write sort of a Roman puff piece to say Rome is awesome and we come from this same heritage. That's kind of what the Aeneid's about. Okay. You guys kind of know this story already, at least generally. Yes? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Okay. That's a bummer. So I'm not, because this isn't going to be a surprise to you guys, but maybe you can fill in the stuff that I miss. I'm bad at remembering. Okay. So maybe, maybe some of you, some of it'll be new. Okay. This story begins like all good stories with Zeus, right? Zeus is a great place to start. And what is Zeus's most defining trait? Um, like siring animals, people. What? Like, like, he, uh, he, like he has sex he, with everybody. He's really into the ladies, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's horny. He is just the most <laughs> randy... Did you just say that? Oh, my <laughs> word. We're getting an E for explicit. <laughs> is it for horny? Oh, yeah. Oh, 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 stop it. <laughs> stop saying it. <laughs> he likes girls. And he likes girls a lot. And they and his wife is not a fan that, of this <laughs> yeah, trait of no. his. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't she the goddess of family? Isn't that... Oh, man. Hera? Yeah, Hera. I think she's the goddess of family. In any case, she doesn't like that he likes it. 
all yes. the ladies. Goddess of uh, women, marriage, family, and childbirth. <laughs> Seems Rough. silly yeah. with uh, with a husband like Zeus. Yeah. Anyway, he likes girls, and he like he this one girl named Leda. She's a, a mortal person. Catches his eye. She's really beautiful. She is already married to a fellow named Tyndarius, but he wants to go and spend some quality time with Leda. But he's got to figure out a way to get out of his his wife's view, and so he turns himself into a swan. And the swan flies down, and as it's flying down, an eagle sees it and mm. thinks a swan might make a good meal. So the eagle starts chasing the swan, and the swan flies away and finds refuge in Leda's arms. She catches it, gets a hold of the swan, and then the swan and Leda spend some quality time together. It's true. There's, There's like some right, just like right off the bat. Like, that's weird, right? I, yeah, and it's especially... Uh, I'm not gonna, I don't want to go into too much detail, but he doesn't... He stays a swan. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, it, yeah. it seems, seems like she'd be like, this is what a strange swan anyway. Okay. And if you are listening to this, you know, this is sort of your first jump into classical education. You should know that this story is pretty universal in Western culture. You, uh, Michelangelo did a rendering of Lita and the Swan. Da Vinci did a rendering of Lita and the Swan. You can find statues and pictures. Yeah, a lot of people copied yeah. Da Vinci's version of Lita and the Swan. It's so if you ever see a woman that seems like she's smooching a goose, that's what this is. It's mm-hmm. this this moment. Okay. So she spends some time with the swan, and then the swan you know, flitters off. It's had its fun, and then she that night sp- also spends time with her husband Tyndarius. Right? She's she's a married woman. Right? And nine months later, she gives birth to two eggs. And that's what's so entertaining about those paintings is often off in the corner you'll see hatching baby eggs, mm-hmm. and so out of the eggs pop four kids and different sources are differ on which ones are mortal and which ones are immortal and in which eggs they come. But there are four kids in two eggs. I feel like Tyndarius would have some questions at yeah, this point. At that point, like, yeah. might want to get that here? checked out. That's yeah. not, that's and not I feel normal. like the scientists of Greece <laughs> would be like, wait a minute. <laughs> this Gosh darn minute. <laughs> we thought we knew how kind of how all this worked, but we have, I guess we have no idea. Anyway, four kids come out, two girls, two boys. And, all of the sources say that there is one daughter of Zeus and one daughter of Tyndarius. The daughter of Zeus is named Helen. The daughter of Tyndarius is named Clytemnestra. And that's a bummer because Helen is super crazy hot. She's just a total smoke show, the likes of which the earth has never seen before. She is attractive. Her, her attractiveness is dangerous to everyone around. And her. Poor Helen. Yeah. And her. It turns out to be a curse for her, but can you imagine growing up as Clytemnestra? Mm. Right. You know you're the ugly one. It's right. not even up for debate. You just, you are the ugly one. And she's still pretty good looking, I think. And then there's two boys, Castor and Pollux, and they have their own tales and stories, and I won't go into them, but stories do differ on which one is the daughter, uh, the son of Zeus, and which one's the son of Tyndarius. Anyway, these four kids happen, and Helen... <laughs> Helen is a problem, right? I, we use, you mentioned that her beauty was a curse, and it does end up being a curse for her. She's kidnapped, I think, at the tender age of 14 by Theseus, hmm. who's the... He, he's the golden fleece guy, I mm-hmm. think. No, it's Jason. That's Jason. Oh, it's Jason? What did Theseus do? He did some other stuff. Is he the guy that killed the... The, the, the snake-haired the, lady? Or, or did Theseus? he do the, uh, the, the, the maze? Of Athens. The maze? Oh, With the... He did some th- He's a hero in his own right. Yeah. I, I forget which, which heroic did he found he Athens, did. Theseus? This is the hero of Athens. Yeah. Oh, okay. Anyway. Founder. Yes, founder. Okay, yeah. anyway. He, he, kid- he hey, kidnapped her at 14 because he felt like he wanted to marry a daughter of Zeus, and there she was. She didn't end up staying with him. She was retrieved by her brothers. and. Castor and Pollux? Yeah. 
And and so this would cause a problem for her, right? I think she's kidnapped multiple times in her life. Man, and, and all of the guys in Greece want to marry this girl because she's so attractive. And there are I, I, sources differ on how many come out of the woodwork, but some as many as I think 37 come to try to get her hand in marriage. And so they all gather and they ask the father for her hand. And Tyndarius, being a wise king, mm-hmm. says, I, I, I can't give her away because what will happen is I'll give her to one of you and then everyone else will try to kill that guy and take her for their own. And what we will end up with is war and I'll probably get killed in the mix, right? My daughter is going to be in trouble and I'm probably going to die for not choosing somebody individually. And I'm just, it's going to mean war for Greece. This is a bad situation. And everyone's like, yeah, that's true. We would totally kill the other guy. So I get your point. And so he says, as things stand, I cannot give her her away. So Odysseus, who, who's a fellow you should remember, he is the star of the Odyssey, and he's going to pop up a few times. So Odysseus, his defining trait is cleverness. He's quick. He's good with taxis, tactics. He's good with speaking. And he comes up with a plan. And his plan is to make every single guy that wants to sue for Helen's hand promise to protect the sanctity of the marriage once it is established. So say the three of us are going for the same lady. You guys uh-huh. are married, but f- imagine for a moment yeah, sure. and you weren't. And we all wanted the same girl. Well, whoever gets chosen, say that somebody eventually, you know, kidnapped Donaldson's wife. He was the one that got chosen and somebody runs off with his wife. Well, we would be on the hook for go. going and getting her back, sure. right? Appreciate we got to protect the sancti- sanctity of the marriage. Thanks. Got your back. Thanks, boys. Yeah, sure. Everyone begrudgingly s- says Greece. okay yeah, and sure. swears fealty to this pact. And so Tyndarius feels safe to choose somebody. And he chooses yeah, a what guy. Is, what is this guy get it? Who? The guy who who eventually marries Helen. Menelaus. He's kind of a derp. He's kind of great, actually. Oh, he's a big red-bearded dope. No, Agamemnon's the dope. Yeah, Menelaus is all right. Okay. In any case, I, I forget exactly how he pulls it off, but he does get chosen for Helen. And he is the king of Sparta. And this isn't the Sparta that you are thinking of as a listener, right? The militant you know, this is Sparta, kick him into a hole kind of Sparta. Uh-huh. It, that that wasn't a thing yet. At this point in history, this is the dark ages of Greece. And Greece are, it's Who's a bunch of loosely allied city-states. Yeah. And there's a bunch of different kings. It's not, it's not you know, they haven't unionized. And so there's, uh-huh. it's all one, you know, it's Sparta, but it's not Sparta yet, right? Gotcha. So he, he takes her home and he's got a brother named Agamemnon. And Agamemnon takes home Clytemnestra, mm. the sister. Right. So two brothers marrying two sisters, Agamemnon, Clytemnestra, and Helen and Menelaus. What Helen doesn't know is that she's marrying into a cursed house. Their house is a huge problem. It's a total mess. And I, I'm not going to go into it in this house episode. Of Atreus, right? But there is an episode called The House of Atreus way back when. And it, it might be of appropriate length. I'm not sure we need to redo that one. But, that was my um, first episode. I think yeah. it's episode 10. But based on The House of Atreus are hundreds and hundreds of stories that I think even South Park steals some of the House of Atreus shenanigans. We're talking at least twice does someone kill another guy's kids and then feed those kids mm. to the guy. Twice. Mm. Two times this happens, I think. And in South Park or in House of Atreus? <laughs> only once in South okay, Park. thank you. Just but, but in the House of Atreus, I think it happens twice. Okay. In any case, there's, there's so much murder and craziness. If you are interested, go listen to that episode. It is a hoot. Anyway, she marries into this cursed house and all the guys are on the hook to protect the marriage. Okay, that is Greece. Okay. We are going to leave Greece for a moment and go to another people group. Okay. The Trojans. Okay. Now the Trojans, they're different from Greece, right? There's one big city and they rich. They got a lot of money. 
and partially because they are the doorway to trade with the East. And they have massive, massive city walls, and they have the name. They're named the Skian Gates, and no one can penetrate these giant, massive walls. It and they are safe behind them. Their streets are well ordered. You can like drive chariots on these walls. Yeah, they're they're huge. Wow. And yeah, streets are well ordered. Plenty of wealth. Everything's well organized. Well run. The the guy at the top of the food chain is named King Priam. King Priam has 50 sons, and then I think another, I might get this number wrong, 26 daughters. And I used to wonder how his poor wife managed all that, but he had lots of concubines. And so he had all these kids. His wife's Hecuba? Hecuba. Yeah. So his wife, Hecuba, at one point in their history, she is pregnant. And as she's pregnant. Yeah, probably a bunch of times. Yeah. But she she has a dream, and her Mm. dream is that she gives birth to a torch and the torch Rough. wanders over to the city and sets the city on fire and burns the whole place to the ground. And she says, well, that was an uncomfortable dream. Yeah, comfortable awesome. birth. You're yeah. Birth Every, to a torch. Oh, everything about it was pretty <laughs> yeah. uncomfortable. And so she, she says, that's a pretty bad thing. And she consults a seer of the town. And the seer says, well, you're, this particular offspring is going to cause a problem for us. And if we let him live, he's going to ruin the whole place. We got to get rid of it. And she says, okay. Later, I think it's a separate prophecy, but that same seer says any kid born today will mean ruin for the entire nation. If he's born today, it's bad. And of course, he comes on that day. So twice, two different prophecies that say this kid is bad news. So the king, he's got plenty of kids. He knows that he can get rid of one and they'll still be all right. So he, he decides to get rid of it and he can't bring himself to do it. So he recruits a huntsman and he says, huntsman, please go kill this child. And the huntsman says, can do, boss. And he takes the child, and he also can't bring himself to kill a small human child. And so he exposes it on the hillside, which seems incredibly heartless to us these days. I think there are... We could get into a whole conversation about the exposing of children and how that worked economically back then, and just... We talked talked in history of private life. It was pretty common. Yeah, it's it's a pretty common thing, and... And so he exposes the child, but he doesn't want to get in trouble for not doing his job. And so he takes a dog tongue back and presents a dog tongue as the child's tongue. Mm-hmm. And as I said in the first first time I did this, I think I would be able to tell the difference think, between yeah, a dog well, I mean, tongue and a baby so. tongue. Yeah, seems like it. Right? But maybe the dad just doesn't even want to, like everyone Bring wants to, to believe it. that it's happened, yeah. right? Yeah, and I don't, I don't, if a guy's showing me a tongue, I'm not sure I'd want to inspect it and be like, hold, hold on just right. a cotton picking minute. Let me see this thing and right. you know, pull out my tape measure and stuff. far enough away. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, exactly. So the, he leaves the baby there and he thinks job well done. I'm, I'm off the hook and he leaves. And then a week, a couple of weeks later, he goes back. He doesn't pierce the baby's heels, does he? That's a different story? Where he like pokes a rod in the heels of the baby? I don't, okay. I don't believe I think that's something different. Yeah. Keep going. That sounds horrible. I know. <laughs> Who would do that? Jerks. You even say who, a guy who said, yeah. yeah, I'll go kill your baby. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, kid to the elements is pretty bad too. <laughs> okay. In any case, he goes back out and it turns out the baby lived. It had been suckled by a she bear. That's awesome. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> what a story, right? Dang. I feel like if you need a, to one up people at a dinner party, that's one way to do it is, yeah. oh yeah, I, I would have died, but a she bear found me and thought me suitable as a candidate for her kids. That's great. It was great. So the huntsman comes. Can't be tasty though. That's got to no, be no. like what, bear gotta, milk. Yeah, it's got to be like meaty or uh, sour. Or, I don't know. All, all the bears in the Multi- audience are just like, oh, really? Yeah. 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 yeah, I hear you. <laughs> so he goes back out and he finds this kid and he thinks, well, I can't leave it back out here because you know 
might not die if the bear finds it again. And so he just, he takes it for his own. He mm. puts it in his backpack and he raises the kid as a huntsman, as a, a child of Mount Ida, which is the mountain right outside of Troy. And he grows up nice. He's a good looking fella. The ladies love him. At one point, there's a bunch of rustlers that try to steal some cattle and rob some people. And he chases off all the rustlers and gets the cattle back. And he earns the surname protector of men. Hmm. right? Which is kind of great. Yeah, it's great surname. And he's good at sports, good looking. I mean, he's of royal lineage, so that makes sense. And and he get, gets a girlfriend, and her name is Oenone. And she's a nymph, so she's an immortal person, and she is really good at medicine and stuff. I only mention her because she makes me sad, and I will come back to her in a little while. Her story is just a super tragic one. And he gets this girl... And at some point, it's unclear when this happens, but he is recognized as a royal, right? I haven't actually been able to find a source that tells this story, but kind of hints are around that it happened when he went and participated in some games Mm. in town. And then they go, oh, that guy, he looks like part of the family. Mm. And they all kind of... knows, right? Yeah, they kind of realize that he's he's part of it. And then it comes out that he, you know, he was... Hey, if you have a king that, like, has had 50 kids, like, you've got a pretty good sample size to be able to determine... (laughs) There's a range there, right? (laughs) You you can slot him right into the gradation. (laughs) I buy it. That you makes don't sense. need machine learning for that one, man. No, not at all. Thanks. Yeah, good. But he he still loves to be out on the mountain. And again, it's unclear when that Who happens, when he gets mm. adopted as, as a prince. And really, outside the city is really nice. They have two springs. One runs hot and one runs cold oh, that's at all times. And so you can jump right from the hot tub into the cold tub and you can wash your clothes in hot. And rinse them in cold. Wow. It's be, like best case scenario for a city. It's beautiful. It's I have that wonderful in my place. Bathtub. One of the knobs. <laughs> sure. Yes, you do. It's hot. One of the knobs is cold. It's uh-huh. pretty great. It's Mix them together. Modern yeah. life is oh, so convenient. Man, yeah. <laughs> I don't need a mountain. <laughs> okay. Anyway, and so he he one of his favorite pastimes. This child and his name is Paris. He is to take his prize bull and fight it against other bulls. And he just wins. His bull is amazing. It stomps okay. over er, all over everybody. And we at some point, students that do that here, yeah, just take their bulls and uh-huh. fight them. Yeah, yeah, we honestly probably do. We mm-hmm. have students with miniature horses and miniature donkeys and all kinds of crazy animals. So mm-hmm. I don't doubt that somebody's got a bull out there that they're messing with. Anyway, he he eventually decides. I think this is after he is recognized as a prince to offer a crown as a prize for beating his bull. Okay. Right? He just doesn't think it's going to happen. And Ares, god of war, hears about this and says, I'll show him a bull. Turns into a bull, comes down, and totally stomps Paris's bull, right? I mean, he's the god of war. Of course, he's going to win. And then he he reveals himself after the fight, and he thinks, he expects of what most mortals would do is renege on the deal and say, that wasn't fair. You're a god, not an actual bull. I'm not going to count it. I'm going to keep my stinking crown. You cheat. But Paris doesn't. He takes his crown. And he walks over to Ares and says, congratulations, wow. right? You earn this great job. And he hands him the crown. You beat a bull, you God. Here's take your <laughs> yeah. crown. Yeah, take yeah. your crown and go. Yeah. But he's, he's cool about it. And right there earns himself a great a reputation for being a good judge, right? A fair judge of character and to, to always hold true to his word. That's great, right? Okay, so we've got the Trojans and we've got the Greeks. And we're going to move back to Zeus. And what again is Zeus def- Zeus's defining trait? He likes the ladies. He likes the ladies. Mm-hmm. And there's another lady out there that he has his eye on, and her name is, do you guys remember? Hopefully it's not Helen, because that's his daughter. It's not Helen. Um, a nymph? Uh, uh, oh, Noni. Nope. No. 
Thetis. Oh, the shining ankle, oh, the pretty ankles. Yeah, so the thing about Thetis is that she's, <laughs> it's, it's weird. She's got nice feet. Okay. Like really nice feet. Whenever she's mentioned in the Iliad, it's Thetis of the shining ankles or of the glistening feet. I don't know what was going on with her feet, but okay. they were something special. Good. And she is a nymph, but she has a legend about her. And that it's that if, if she ever gives birth, her offspring will be more powerful than the father. Okay. Right. And this is something any good dad wants, right? You want your kids to grow up more yeah. fortunate, more capable, stronger than you are. For sure. any father, and even in Greece, this is what you want as a dad. Your kid to outdo you. If sure. you start a business, you want your kid to start a better one or to make more of it than you right. could. Sure. Right? You don't ever want your kids to be worse than you. Okay. Sure. Unless you're Zeus. <laughs> sure. Because yeah. if you're Zeus, a kid that's stronger than you means that... It's bad news. There is war in heaven. Many of your family will die and you will probably die and somebody else will be in charge and the earth will get busted up in the process. Right. That's bad. You can't really let that happen. I mean, a, it's an easy fix. Just like set Thetis up with like a walking pimple of a man and then uh-huh. you're fine. And then the kid can be like slightly better. Yeah. Oh, are you, ma- are you just making this up? Or yes. Right? Why don't you just do that? Well, that's kind of what he. No, no, that's kind awesome. of what he does. I mean, it's not a walking pimple of a man, but he does set her up with a mor- with a mortal person. Gotcha. It's unfortunate that a mortal and immortal, immortal sounds so sounds similar. Like mm-hmm. him, yeah. She sets him up with a man, a mm-hmm. non god. Mm-hmm. He goes to this fella named Peleus mm-hmm. and says, "Hey, Peleus, I got a deal for you." And Peleus says, "I'm listening." He says, "There's this nymph. You should see her feet, buddy." <laughs> what do you think about feet? Yeah, how do you feel about feet? And he says, "We." I've got to take her off the market because if I know one thing about myself, it's that I have absolutely no self-control. Wow. So she has to be married off or I just won't be able to control myself and I'm going to have a kid that's stronger than me. So I need you to marry her. And Peleus says, great. How do we make that happen? So they set a trap. They throw a net over this poor nymph. Oh, no. And uh, Peleus forces well, himself on her oh, and no. gets her pregnant and, this, and then they are betrothed. That's kind of how it happens. Rough. Thetis is not enthused. I bet. Right. <laughs> She's not a fan of this. And it's, it sucks that that's part of the story, but they are going to be married. And this is where, for, for those of you who will eventually read the Iliad, it's where Achilles comes from. The offspring of Peleus and Thetis is Achilles, the greatest warrior of all time, right? Because right? Peleus himself was a fantastic warrior and Achilles. Even I mean, better, it's interesting that Achilles himself is big, begot by force right. and violence. That makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. Good note. Okay, so they are going to have a wedding, and everybody gets invited. I mean, she's a nymph; she's immortal, so all of the gods are invited, and all the nymphs, and and a bunch of mortals. Everybody's going except for one goddess that nobody wants to be there, and it's the goddess of discord, Eris. Mm-hmm. Nobody likes Eris; she's the worst. She always causes problems in every party she's at, and it makes sense. It's kind of her thing. Seems fair. And so she is supposed to get turned away at the door by Hermes. Okay. And so she goes there and she gets turned away and she's kind of hacked about it. So she takes a golden apple, writes kilisti, the Greek word for, it's a Greek word that means for the fairest. And then she just sort of chucks it into the <laughs> wedding okay. and says, eat that, you nerds. Well, what do you do? Do you invite the goddess of discord to your wedding? No, because no. she's going to ruin the party. But if you don't invite her, this happens. She's She'll probably cause some discord. So, yeah. oh, it's a it's a catch twenty two. What do you do? You got you got to you got to set her up. Oh, you kill her. Oh, I'm sorry. What? Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> I mean, if you're a god, this you can't have that. You got to do. Can't deal with that all the time. I guess. I don't, I don't know. know. Maybe you could, like distract her or. Well, maybe what they did with the, the like Furies, which is turn them into yeah. a different thing oh, that's okay. positive. Yeah. 
right? So oh. maybe she could become the goddess of reconciliation or oh, something. There you go. Okay. Apparently you can just decree that kind of thing. That's not what happens. That is not what happens. What happens is the apple rolls in and three goddesses instantly claim ownership of the apple as it was clearly meant for them. These three goddesses, you guys have guesses or do you remember? I remember. Do you remember? Aphrodite's one. Aphrodite. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Athena. One? Athena. And uh, Hera. And Hera. Hera. Yeah. Aphrodite, Athena, and Hera. All of them claim the apple, and they begin to bicker over it, and the bickering gets unbearable, and they are just ruining the wedding of Peleus and Thetis. And, I mean, her feet look perfect that day. So <laughs> yeah, sure. they're, just making it, they're just making it worse. It was going to be the best day of her life, and it's, gonna, it's being terrible and... I don't think it would be the best day of her life anyway if she's kind of being forced yeah, into it. Yeah, probably nope. not. But in any case, the, the, everyone hates that the wedding is getting ruined. And so they, they are like, you guys got to resolve this. Go talk to Zeus. And so they, the three of these ladies appear in front of Zeus and say, you have to pick which one the apple goes to. He's like, nope. Decide this for us. Yeah, exactly. He, like a wise father, looks at his wife and his two daughters and says, nope. fat chance. That's not happening. If I, if I make that choice, I will never live it down and I'll never hear the end of it because we're all immortal and you, you will just, I'll have to live with it for the rest of my life. Right. No, I'm going to send you to somebody else that won't have to suffer the same fate. In fact, I'll send you to a mortal person, right? Who will eventually die. And even if he earns your ire. And so who do they send him to? The guy with a reputation for good judgment. Paris. Paris. Paris, the savior of man. No, Paris. Paris, protector of men. Protector of men. And so they, they send these three goddesses to Paris, who at that particular moment was lounging on the top of Mount Ida. Right? How picturesque. It's beautiful. And all of a sudden, he's just kind of hanging out, you know, watching his goats. And three gorgeous goddesses go to <laughs> right in front of him. And they ask him to pick which one is the prettiest. And he says, oh boy, right. I have, I've walked into something special here. Yeah, sure. And they all display their wares, right? They sort of show him what they got. And he thinks it's hard to pick, right? They're all really good looking. And they, the goddesses don't want to take any chances with this because it's bragging rights for literally the rest of time. <laughs> sure. So they all offer him bribes. bribes. Hera offers him kingship over Europe and Asia. It's a big bribe. Okay, any guesses on what Athena offers? Wisdom. Wisdom and battle prowess. So he'll be a smart warrior. Yeah. But if you, yeah. yeah. Okay, so put it together. You, you, have, you have the same opinions I do. Okay, you know, I mean, if you're already guaranteed to have kingship over all of Europe and yeah, Asia, you, you don't need battle prowess. Well, yeah, what are you going to get with battle prowess and wisdom? A kingdom. Yeah. So why not just get the kingdom. take get the, the kingdom? kingdom. Okay, Perfect. and then Aphrodite offers him the hottest woman alive. And again... I think if he, if he was, had his wits about him, he'd think, okay, if I was king of Europe and Asia, I could probably get the hottest woman alive by force if I wanted to. Or, you know, I've, I've, got, a, I've got a lot of assets you can put to work, right? right. In, in favor of your romantic life. You put on a pageant. Sure. <laughs> yeah. But he doesn't do that. But he doesn't do that. He is a young, red-blooded male, and he says, that one, I yeah. want hot girl, yep. yes. And yep. so he takes the apple with Callisti written on it maybe and he he's, hands maybe it to he Aphrodite. he doesn't want to be in charge of a kingdom. Maybe he doesn't. Sure. And maybe he's not fond of battles. He is. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, sort of. Uh, we, we'll get okay. there. He sort of loves the idea of being cool at battle, but wusses out when push comes to shove a lot. Okay. So he gives the apple to Aphrodite. And in that instant, earns the everlasting yeah. hatred <laughs> yes. of Hera and Athena. Yes. Because if there's one thing goddesses hate, it's being told they aren't the prettiest. And they want, they don't just hate him. They want to see all of Troy raised to the ground, right? Right. Scorched earth policy on people who tell them they're not pretty. 
Aphrodite, on the other hand, instantly loves, loves the Trojans. Yeah. She loves the city. She loves the people. She loves Paris. He's the best. And everything about Troy is wonderful. And it pits these goddesses against each other. But we have a problem. Now we need to get him the prettiest girl in the world. And this is when we have to take a small aside and talk about the hospitality code. I don't know if we talked about it in a previous episode. Maybe the episode's about the yeah, Odyssey. Probably. But what do you guys know about the hospitality code? Uh, if someone shows up to your house, yep. they've come a long way. Right? Yep. And they're probably tired and thirsty and hungry. Yep. And you are, by custom, required to give them a place to sleep, Yep. food, yep. and you don't ask them questions till the next day. Something. Yeah. I think that's it. That's pretty close. Because traveling was so dangerous in the old days to sort of even have an economy where people could trade safely. Say I'm say I need to go and maybe talk to this other king I've heard about. Well, it's not just this, you know, get a ticket and or drive there. It's I have to put together a crew. We have to probably sail there. I'm going to waste a lot of my wealth and wares making this journey. I'm probably going to spend a lot of wine. I have to pay my crew. I have I'll probably risk bandits and death and weather and shipwreck and all this stuff. It's just dangerous. And so the motivation to go on one of those trips has to be pretty high. So when I show up at somebody's door, even if it's not my final destination, I, I need to be able to count on a few things happening. And one of those things is a bed, some food, some rest, and then, and then that some of my, my expenses will be recouped. And so if, I am, if you are a host, your job is to feed them and you know, entertain them and maybe let them stay for a little while. And then as they leave, you give them a guest gift. Right? I need to give them a fancy robe or a nice golden bowl or something as I send them on their way. But the, it, it is a benefit to me because next time I travel, if I've hosted that guy, I know that I've got a spot I can stay that's safe. Right. And it's generational, right? Graham, if you came to my house and I hosted you and then gave you a really nice golden bowl, say we both kick the bucket, we both die. Yep. My kid can travel to your kingdom. And mm -hmm. because I hosted you, he can expect good treatment oh, by yeah. your son. What, we have like a guest book? You can check? Kind of, yeah. He'll, he'll remember. He'll say, whoa, my dad hosted your dad, or they knew each other. This even happens, there's an instance of it in the Iliad when two opposing, like, opposing warriors realize their fathers knew each other, and they're like, let's be best friends. This so is, you come to my house, I feed you, I put you up, I entertain you, and I give you a gift? Yeah. Good deal. A lot of expense to you. And so hosting is an important thing and guests are protected by the gods. This isn't just a regional thing or a law worked into the laws of an individual nation. It is a foundational societal principle. And if you mess with a guest, if someone shows up at your door and you're mean to them, or as a guest, you mess with the house of someone who has hosted you, you are breaking a deep social moray. Because without it, you can't have society sure. back then, right? This is, this is absolutely essential. Okay, so with that as a background, Paris goes on a journey, and he says, oh, Anoni, girlfriend, nymph, you're so beautiful, I'll be back. And he knows that he has a prize waiting for him. So he goes and he visits Sparta, and in Sparta is Helen, Does wife he know, of Menelaus. Does he like, uh, has um, Aphrodite sent him there being like, hey, you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure exactly how that all goes down. And there are even different versions of when she leaves. Gotcha. So, and I, I, I'm not sure there, this one might be firm. I'm just not sure about the, the deal. I don't know if Menelaus was there at the beginning of his visit and then left. I think in some sources he is, or if he was never there in the first place. Right. In any case, Paris is hosted in Sparta by the house of Menelaus, right? Menelaus brings him in feeds him well, beds him, gives him gifts, gives him all this stuff. And then at some point, Menelaus is not there. 
and Paris takes Helen with him. And so That's bad. not That's only bad. has he stolen another man's wife and dishonored that man, but he has broken a foundational social code, which is if you are someone's guest, you do not mess with their house. And right. he has messed with the wife, right? Something pretty sacred. And again, there are different versions of this, her leaving. In some, she is forcibly stolen. She's just taken. They lift her up and off she goes in the right. boats. In most of the tales, her wits are sort of stolen away by Aphrodite. Aphrodite makes her love stupid for a little while because Paris is so dang good looking. She climbs on the boat. She doesn't think it through. And then off she goes to Troy. But either way, it doesn't last very long, right? Either way, it doesn't last very long. When we hit the Iliad, she has different feelings about Paris sure. as a person. And we'll, but at, we'll mock him at certain points. Like it's not, they don't oh, have this like perfect love or anything. Like yeah, that. we can talk about that a little when we get to the Iliad. Right. Okay, so off she goes. And Menelaus returns to find his wife gone, right. and he freaks out. Now, do you remember an oath that oh, some guys swore? Yeah, to the sacredness, to the marriage, right? So yeah. They now have to go to protect the sanctity of the marriage. Yeah, so back. there are a bunch of kings and princes, oh, sucks. all of yeah, who are on the hook to go back, you know, go protect this thing. And so right. Menelaus starts calling in the favors. He talks to his brother. He's like, hey, brother, we got to do this thing. And the brother says, absolutely, I'm on board. Let's go. He's kind of war hungry anyway. Mm-hmm. But they start calling in everybody else. Now, Achilles was not one of these people. He was probably too young to be part of the the team that wanted Helen's hand in marriage. But they want him anyway. And they they also... Because he can wreck. Like, he's... Yes. Oh, yeah. He's, we'll get to Achilles in a minute. But they the, one of the first people they go talk to is Odysseus. Now, Odysseus, remember, he's the smart guy. He he's came up with the oath in the first place. Yeah, in the first... He was the guy that started the whole idea. But he doesn't want to go to war. Of course not. He really doesn't want to go. He's just had a kid. Right? He's got a newborn child. He's got a lovely wife. He loves his town. It's not great for raising crops. It's great for raising sons and goats. That's another, that's a euphemism they use for really terrible farming land. And they go and they try to get this guy. And so to, to Ithaca, right? Yeah, Ithaca. To dodge the, the draft, he pretends to be insane and he harnesses an ox and a mule to his cart. And they have different oh, gates. And yep. so it sort of is like a busted right. axle. It doesn't really work very well. And in some versions, he is plowing the beach, <laughs> which doesn't really do much. Sure. In most, he's just plowing his fields and sowing salt on his own fields rather than seeds. Right. And so just looks crazy. He looks like a crazy person, yeah. but they're kind of onto it. They figure that, you know, this seems awfully suspicious. So they take his newborn son and they put it in front of the plow. And so if he is to maintain his ruse, he's got to run over his own kid with the oxen. And at the last second, he veers, right? He doesn't kill his kid. And they're like, ah, we knew it. And he's like, ah, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You got me. Achilles also does not want to go to war. And he hides in a a town that isn't his. I think it's Cyprus. And he dresses up as a woman in the court of this other king. And I don't know why he thought that was the plan. Because if Achilles has a reputation for being one of the most manly wrecking warriors ever to walk the the fields of Troy. He's just this huge dude. And you think the broad shoulders would give it away yeah, sure. in the it's deep like, voice. It's like CrossFit. Yeah. But I don't know. Maybe he's really lean. Who knows? He, they call him sure. the swift runner. Maybe he does yeah, a lot of cardio. So anyway, they show up and Odysseus is the one that comes up with this plan. Remember, he's really good at plans. And he, the way that they catch him is they pose as merchants and they set out a bunch of wares, some wagons full of stuff. And there is, there's clothing, there's bolts of cloth, a bunch of pearls and nice jewelry, and interspersed in there is some shields and yeah. some swords and some weapons. And 
you know, most of the ladies are looking at the cloth and there's one lady who's picking up the sword and he's like, oh yeah, that's, oh, that's nice. And his, his deafness with the blade, like he right. picks it up and, you know, some, some of the other women look at it, but it's not, you know, they're just like, oh, cool, a sword. And they put it back and he's, you know, he's spinning it around. He's like, oh yeah, that's really nice. Well, well balanced. And he knows all the stuff. And then they blow the war horn for an attacking army. Like everyone assemble because we're being attacked. And he goes, and all the other women are like, ah, and they gather their things and they run off. And he sort of instantly gets into battle stance and turns towards the, where the army would be coming from. And they're like, ah, gotcha. Hi, Achilles. Even if it's not Achilles, you want that woman yeah, on, yeah, and that you're on your team. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and there exactly are some right. great woman warriors. So, yeah, even if it's not Achilles, like, get that woman on board. Sign her up, right? Yeah. Okay, so they get Achilles. And he agrees to it after that? Yeah, he's like, got to go. Okay. There, there are some prophecies about Achilles that we'll get to in a minute. So they, they gather everybody. Good. 20 minutes left. That's, that feels about right. Okay. So they gather everybody at this this island, all the boats, it's the legend is a thousand ships, right? Helen is the face that launched a thousand ships. They're all together and they're ready to go invade Troy and there's no wind, right? The wind just won't come and they and wait. Book two of the Iliad like lists all them ships. Yeah. And so, they wait and they wait swat. and they wait and nothing happens. And eventually they, they consult one of their seers, Calchas, and they say, what's the deal, man? Why, why can't we go to war? Does the God of wind hate us or something? And he says, no, Artemis does. What the problem is that Agamemnon, one of the head guys, remember Agamemnon, brother of Menelaus, these Menelaus and Agamemnon are the head kings and Agamemnon is the strongest. He's got the most men. They say Agamemnon went into Artemis's sacred grove, killed one of her sacred deer and then claimed he was a better hunter than Artemis. That's bad. And she heard. And that's bad. No win for you, buddy. Yeah. And so he's like, fine. Yeah, I remember something like that. What (laughs) do I have to... What do I got to do about it? And he doesn't really like Calchas. Cal- you know, Calchas, the seer, keeps on telling him all the stuff he's doing wrong. And because he kind of sucks at life, that's all the time. And he says, well, the thing we got to do is you have to sacrifice your own, one of your own children to Artemis, and then she'll forgive you the deed. Jeez. And Horrible. he says, okay, I don't know how to get her away, from, uh, get her, you know, get one of my kids away from my wife. So Odysseus, oh, I'm going to send you. We'll you got to go do the job. So don't tell I'm, me the name of the daughter. I'm trying to remember. Okay. You, you keep talking. So Odysseus travels goes to Clytemnestra, Agamemnon's wife, and says, Clytemnestra, great news. We are going to marry your daughter to Achilles, greatest warrior of the Greeks. And she is overjoyed. So he says, get her in her her wedding clothes, give me the dowry, off we go. And she said, and she, elated, sends her daughter off with Odysseus. What's the name? Figured it out? I mean, Orestes is the brother. Um, Electra is the other sister. Yeah, it's... Orestes, Electra. There's an opera about it. Yeah. Oh, what's her name? I can't remember. Iphigenia. Ah, yeah. So Iphigenia shows up and they sacrifice her. In some in some sources, they just straight up kill her. In, in other the opera, sources, she survives. Yeah, in most sources, Artemis feels really guilty about this thing that she's asked. She's like, oh, he actually did it. I didn't think he would do it. Oh, this is really awkward. And so at the last second, she sort of shrouds the whole area with mist, swaps in a deer, and then yoinks Iphigenia away to be one of her virgin huntresses, like her team of virgins. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's okay. That seems all right. Uh, that's a pretty good end for all that stuff. I mean, you probably want to get out of, like, if your dad's going to, yeah, you know, kill you like that. You probably, yeah, it's not great. Your family, better. it's honestly, it was better for her. Yeah. The House of Atreus is a mess. For her to get out of Dodge is maybe the best thing for her. But I feel like after sacrificing my daughter, if I look down and there's a furry deer, I'd be like, well, this is awfully strange. 
okay, whatever. Mm. Anyway, the wind comes and off they go to Troy. And they fight there for nine years. There's nine years of battle before the Iliad even begins. During that nine years, they can't breach the city walls. And so they raid a lot of nearby towns and cause problems for the nearby people and allies of Troy. It's all under the Trojan country. And so they just, you know, there's free stuff there. Why not go raid a city while we're just nearby? Because we can't. So they do. And nine years in, the Iliad begins. So all of this information is stuff that Homer assumed you knew before you begin the Iliad. And the Iliad starts with a dispute among the Greeks because they are all dying of plague and they want to know why. They want to know what the problem is. Turns out Agamemnon offended a priest of Apollo's and Apollo is demanding this, that he honor the priest of Apollo and give his daughter back because he had stolen her and all this stuff. And so anyway, what happens, and I'm going to kind of gloss over it because I want you to still enjoy reading the Iliad itself, but Agamemnon and Achilles get into a big spat and Achilles says, fine, you want to sass me? I quit. Like I'm taking my sword. Now I'm going home. I'm going to sit at my tents because I'm not going to let you disrespect me in front of the troops. So he goes and he sits at his tent for a long time. Things start going poorly for the Greeks and they need him back. But by that time he's had time to sit and think and he thinks, you know what? I'm probably just going to go home because I didn't want to be here in the first place. I dressed up as a lady to get out of it and I kind of want to leave. His best friend, however, wants to fight, goes out, gets himself killed. And then Achilles feels as though he has to get revenge on the guy who did it, who happens to be the brother of Paris, greatest prince of the Trojans. His name is Hector. And so Achilles kills Hector and then they bury him. And that is sort of the end of the Iliad. It's the story of the genesis and conclusion of Achilles's rage, right? So he gets mad at Agamemnon and eventually takes revenge on Hector and then sort of his rage subsides. That is the story of the Iliad. It doesn't even tell about the fall of Troy. The, the in-between stuff is what I want to cover for the last 15 minutes or so. All right, you guys, we're tired? Tracking. No, we're tracking, tracking so far? Got it. Doing yeah. okay? Yeah. Okay. So at the end of the Iliad, Achilles is still alive. Hector is dead. But most of the Greeks are still alive. Very few, very few of the big players actually die in the, in the novel itself. But, Achi- but Achilles does die shortly after from an arrow from Paris. So Paris... Uh, I, I forgot to mention that there are some times when Helen makes fun of him in the book and she's like, you are the most spineless human being alive. I wish you had more fighting spirit. And he says, oh, girl, that hurts, but let's smooch. Mm-hmm. And so they do. And he's just kind of a worm and you kind of learn to hate him. He is good at battle, but he just doesn't have the the core, the moral core that a prince should have. He's just kind of morally bankrupt. And so after after the Iliad ends, he does kill Achilles in battle, but in every single version of the tale, he is robbed of the glory. Somebody else guides the arrow. He kind of gets lucky. He hits the spot where Achilles is vulnerable. No one ever gives him credit. Plus the bow is sort of a coward's weapon because you can fight from far away. And so in every version, everyone's like, yeah, Paris did it, but he didn't really do it. So Achilles dies and then Paris continues to kill Greeks. He kills a lot of people and they need to get rid of this guy. So they go and they... I mentioned this partially. It's not super central to the story. It's just one of my favorite parts. They ask Calchas the seer. They say, how can we get rid of Paris? He's just killing so many of us. It's a problem. And he says, well, there's one guy that can do it. He's got a special bow, but we left him on our way to Greece. There was, his name was Philoctetes. And on the way to Greece, he had, when they stopped to, you know, resupply and get water and stuff, he'd been bitten by a snake and the bite got gangrenous. And so it smelled so bad that Odysseus 
tricked everybody into leaving him on an island so he wouldn't have to smell that stinky snake bite anymore. So they had to go back and get this guy. I don't think they sent Odysseus because Philoctetes was not a fan anymore. Sure. And he comes and snake bite guy does kill Paris. And then a bunch more people die. But by this time, Hector's dead. Paris is dead. Achilles is dead. And most of the big players are dead. But, but Troy still won't fall. There are a few things they got to do. They catch one of the seers of, of the town. It's actually one of the sons of, of Priam that wanted Helen after Paris died, right? After Paris got killed by Philoctetes, she was sort of on the market again, and he tried to go for it. His name was Helenus. But the Helen-Helenus combo, that's not a combo you yeah, want. Good, and so he yeah. gets rejected and distraught. He sort of stomps out of town and wanders around on the mountain. And the Greeks find him and force him to tell him the things. And he says, here's the stuff you got to do. And there's a few, few different things. And so the Greeks do all that, and it still doesn't work. Troy still won't fall. And so Odysseus comes up with a plan. And this is probably the, the part of this story that you may have an inkling of or have heard of as an audience member. And it's the Trojan horse. And it's recounted in the beginning bits of the Aeneid, which is written far later. But the Greeks didn't actually write this into their tale, right? So the, he comes up with a plan and they build this giant wooden horse. You've probably seen pictures where there are wheels on the bottom, there were no wheels on the bottom. That's not a thing they built in. They built it out of ship timbers, pull, pulled apart ships, and they left a guy on the beach to lie about what it was for. So all the Greek, the Greek fleet sails off behind one of the other islands to kind of hide, and they leave this guy on the island. His name is Sinon the Greek. He's famous. He shows up in the Inferno, actually, in mm. the Circle of Deceivers. Mm. So the Greek ships are gone. The Trojans come out of their town. Like, what happened? They say, well, they're tired of fighting. And Sinon says, I got in a fight with Odysseus. He blamed me for some stuff. They left me here to be killed by you guys. And so I'm here. And I said, what's the deal with the horse? He said, well, they wanted a safe trip home. And so they left an offering for Athena for a safe ride, right? This is an offering for her. And they built it so big because they knew that if you could haul this offering to Athena inside your city, your city would stand for two th like thousands of years, right? No one could ever break into your city with that kind of protection from Athena. That's hilarious. And they said, huh, that is compelling. Sure. I bet we could move that yeah, inside. Exactly. And he's like, yeah, well, the Greeks don't really want you to. <laughs> and as they're having this conversation, a guy named Laocoon shows up and he says, oh, I, I fear the Greeks, especially when they come bearing gifts, right? And that is one of the most famous lines in this whole story. Mm -hmm. And he takes a spear and he chucks it at the horse. And you can even hear that it's hollow when it hits. It's just this big clonk and it kind of reverberates. And all the inside the horse are a bunch of Greek soldiers. And so they just try to keep it quiet. And Poseidon sends up a sea serpent and eats the guy and his two sons that were with him. And the Trojans are like, whoo, that must clearly be a sign that you should never mess with an offering uh, from Athena. Yeah. And so they put it on some logs and they start rolling it inside the city. And at this point, the gods are all set against the city. The city has to fall. It's been decreed. It's the fate. It's going to happen. Everybody knows it's going to happen. And they sort of steal away the wits of the people who are rolling it in. It even hits bumps a few times and you can hear armor clanking around <laughs> inside of it. And at one point, Helen even walks out and she's kind of suspicious. So right. she starts doing impressions of all the wives of the guys inside the horse. She's like, hey, you know, oh, Ajax, what's going on? It's Teresa or whatever. And then Ajax is like, Teresa. And he almost yells out. And the only way that they don't aren't given away is that Odysseus clamps his hands over there's his mouths. And he's like, dude, that's not your wife, you idiot. And he's like, oh yeah, it's not my wife. I knew that. She's at home. And so 
They, they drag it inside. This is the real thing. They yeah. drag it inside the city and have a celebration. The Greeks are gone. We've got this j- cool new horse that they, the Greeks built and didn't think we could haul it inside the city, but we sure did, sure showed them, hauled it right inside, and they get super drunk and they all pass out. And then all of the Greeks that were hiding inside the horse jump out and open the main city gates, right? The skiing gates, mm-hmm. the gates they couldn't breach are now open. And the, as the Trojans had been partying, the ships had all sailed back and the army floods in, right? And the Greeks do not comport themselves well. They, they desecrate some temples. At one point, one of the Greek warriors rapes a, a priest of, a, of a, I think it's Apollo, a priest of Apollo at the feet of Athena's statue where she had run to cling for mm. mercy safety, or mercy, right? It's like, it's like murdering someone in a church. You okay. just don't right. really do it. Yeah, sure. And the Greek raped her at the feet of the statue. And legend has it that the statue wouldn't even look. It used to look down and then it turned its head away and stays that way. And the Greeks should have, when they found out about this, killed the guy. But the guy ran back to the feet of Athena. And because he was, they were too scared to do what he wasn't scared to do, right? They wouldn't kill him at the feet of right. Athena. And so he survived. And Athena is furious that this happened. And so they sort of earned themselves a lot of trouble from that. On the way home from the war, the Greeks' ships are blasted with a huge storm that, sc- that kills a whole ton of them, scatters a bunch of them to the wind. Yeah. Many of them have a lot of trouble getting home. And the guy that did the raping survives a sort of a shipwreck. And then he climbs up on the land and he's like, you guys will never kill me. And then Zeus is like, oh, yes, we will. He sends a, sends a thunderbolt and the whole thing. Or uh, sorry, I think it's that the sea cracks the rock he's standing on and he falls into the sea and is engulfed and dies. Wow. Like, yeah, you sass the gods, see what happens. Right. And, and this is kind of where the last two epics come from. But at so, least things go well for Agamemnon, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, that if you want to find out what happens to Agamemnon, go back and listen to the House of Atreus episode. Yes. He has a pretty bad time. bad time. Weirdly enough, Menelaus, so the guy who went back to get his wife, he's planning on killing her. She has crossed him. She has left him. She's dishonored him. And when he finds her as they're invading the city, she sort of shows what she's working with. And he is so overcome by her beauty. He goes, oh, gosh, dang it. Puts his sword down and then hauls her back to the ships. And they go home. And their marriage is okay. We see them later in the Odyssey, and they're doing all right. And she's like, man, I was such an idiot when I was at Troy. Huh, that's, that's, that was a weird time. And then she kind of goes on, and he's like, oh, honey, you're right. That was weird. And their, their marriage is pretty good after that. So he does get Helen back. Good. Agamemnon, not so much. Okay. His life is not so good. No. But the Odyssey is the story of Odysseus's return trip home. If any of the guys have a hard trip home, Odysseus's was worse. It takes him over 10 years. And so by the time he is home, he has been gone for 20. So he doesn't really know what he's coming home to. And what he's coming home to partially is a bunch of guys that have invaded his house and are trying to sue for his, the, the hand of his wife. And so the Odyssey is actually, I think, far easier to read than the Iliad. If you know this story, you're welcome to start there, right? You can start with the return home trip. You don't have to read the Iliad first. This story is the basis for both. And the Odyssey is honestly an easier read. So you can start there. There's some modern translations that are really nice and fun. And then if you want to do the Iliad, you can do that next and do it second. So that's the story of the Iliad and the Odyssey. The Iliad is Achilles getting sassy and then eventually getting his revenge. The Odyssey is the return trip home from Troy for Odysseus, the clever guy who comes up with all the plans. Mm -hmm. 
And then the Aeneid, which is written far later by Virgil, totally different author, is the story of one of the survivors of Troy named Aeneas. And he escapes this burning of his town with his son and his father. And he leaves, travels for half the book, and then, and then fights for a new homeland in the second half, Latium. And from this guy, Aeneas and his travels and his, his small war will come Rome. So Rome and all of the Roman citizenry kind of claimed that they were descended from Aeneas, the guy who had escaped from Troy. And Aeneas himself was a son of Aphrodite. And so that's one thing about Roman citizens, actual citizens, people that were of Roman descent. They claimed that they had goddess blood way back in them. And so they actually believed they were a little bit divine, just a hint, a hint of divinity in them. And this was sort of their cultural, here's where we come from, boys. We come from the Trojans. And as you read the Iliad and the Odyssey, what you see is that the Trojans, aside from Paris, they're really good people. They're honest, they're straightforward. And the Greeks tend to bicker with each other and fight and be petty. And the Trojans are good folk. And that's why the Romans want to come from them rather than from the Greeks, because the Greeks are a mess. The Trojans are great. And that's where they claim. So Iliad is Achilles. Odyssey is Odysseus's return home. And then the Aeneid is the escape and eventual founding of Rome. And that story follows Aeneas on, on his trips. So that's, that's the whole story. And if people want to pick up one of those to read right after this, you'd say the Odyssey. I'd say start with the Odyssey and then go to the Iliad. The Aeneid is kind of a, it's almost like a Roman version of the two instead of the the warfare of the Iliad and the trip of the Odyssey. He does kind of both of those things just in reverse order. So we have the travels first and then the warfare in the second half. It's almost like he's trying to do a Roman version of both books. It's not my favorite, partially because Aeneas is a far more boring character than Odysseus. Odysseus, who's like an eighth grade kid that's always getting himself into trouble and then talking his way out of it. And Achilles, who's just angry all the time and is very human. Aeneas's defining trait is pietas. He is pious. He does what he's supposed to do and follows the gods. And as good as that is, man, it makes for some dry reading. Sure. That's fair. Yeah. Ah, poor Aeneas. And he, he is kind of boring. It's kind of a, and it's a Roman puff piece and you can read it a lot. Half of it is about how awesome Rome will eventually be and all of their stuff. And then at the very last second, he acts rashly and unmercifully. And some, some critics see that as a censuring of the nation building and empire building policies of Rome, but maybe not, maybe it was just cool. And so who knows? Right. Uh, sure. It's, it's like, it feels like a Roman puff piece that it's as you read it. It's been a long time since I read the Aeneid. Maybe I should pick it up again. Nah, <laughs> <laughs> I recommend the Iliad and the Odyssey. I cool. think they're far more fun. Well, it's good. Well, this has been Classical Stuff You Should Know with Graham, AJ, and Thomas. Thank you for listening. If you have questions, you can email us at theguys at classicalstuff.net. If you want to have uh, throw your weight around and uh, uh, have your suggestions become podcast episodes, you become a Patreon on our Patreon page. You can tweet at us at classicalstuff on the Twitters, C-L-S-S-C-A-L. Um, and you can find us on classicalstuff.net. Uh, all of our back, ep- back episodes, although some of them are slowly disappearing because we are redoing s- some of the earlier ones just to flesh them out and get them a little, uh, so it's not just... We're going to bring the quality up bring to what we're up used to. Up the quality yeah, to, uh, and we're happy to be back on your devices in your ears. Bye. Good to be back. Yeah, Bye. bye.